I pray, God, also you help us be Christ-centered in all that we say and all that we do, yes. and that this will be an equipping tool for people, God, to be able to be sharpened to share your name and to tell others. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Uh, let us be grateful today. In Jesus' name, Jesus amen. Name, amen. Amen. Bam. 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 I feel really loud. Do you? I'm going to back off a little bit. Right there? Is that good? Yeah, I think you're good, man. All right. I can fix it either way. Post-production, I can fix it. That's what you always say. All right. Boom. That was loud. So, uh, let's go ahead and get started. You ready? All right. You ready? This gets me fired up right here. Mm. Get the heart pumping. The blood flow. Ladies and gentlemen, hailing from Concord, North Carolina, in the blue corner, is your opponent tonight, weighing in at 237 pounds of twisted steel and apologetics appeal, Robert Rainman Mayfield. Now, coming to the blue corner, he's so radical in evangelism, he's so radical in apologetics, he will do exegesis throughout the scripture, Jesse the Radical Walking. I feel like I feel like I'm here. Check, I'm here. I'm feel like this is so like when I'm out here, I feel like it's a radio voice, but when I'm in here, I feel like it's NPR voice. Mm. Welcome to NPR Radio. This is National Public Radio Service coming straight to you from 180 West Avenue Southwest Concord, North Carolina. Sound like you had a little lift there. Yes, that's normally what it has to do. Are, are we recording now? Yes, we are. Oh, wow. We're live <laughs> on the air. Hot action. Hey, welcome to Gospel Defenders. And uh, I've actually come up with a little um, catchy tune, an intro tune. I'm going to have to work on it. But it goes like this. Gospel Defenders. Gospel Defenders. Gospel Defenders. Gospel Defenders. <laughs> what do you think? Am I supposed to be excited about you it? You want to sing it with me? I mean, I, let's do it. All right. One, two, ready. Go. Gospel defenders. Gospel defenders. Gospel defenders. Gospel defenders. Boom. Boom. What do you think about that? I didn't like my ending. You didn't like it? I think I, think I messed it up. All right. We can work on that. All right. Welcome, Gospel Defenders, to podcast numero cuatro. Uno, dos. Tres, cuatro, uno, no, numero cuatro, podcast number four. That's uh, four for all you English-speaking people. Yes. And uh, Wednesday, January 27th, 2016. 2016. What announcements we got this week there, J-Dub? We have a wild game dinner Saturday night. Tickets are still available. You can find those by calling the church office at 704-262-7742 or emailing concordfriendship at gmail.com. Man, your radio voice today is like epic. On I'm on par. point, man. I've been I, I've been talking to myself in radio voice all day, hadn't you? Yeah, in the car ride, I'm like, well, let me tell you the announcements today. Today, I'm going to put my key in the car and I'm going to start the engine. <laughs> Rum. Here comes Jesse brushing his teeth. All right, moving on with the. Uh... Oh, by the way, tickets are ten dollars for the wild game dinner. It will be a wonderful meal. A uh, great speaker, Jeremy Harrell, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, we've heard him before. He does a fantastic job. Good fellowship time. It'll be a probably the the best meal you'll have all year long for ten dollars, and it goes to support Friendship Baptist Church of Haiti outside Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Amen. I know there's probably only about thirty tickets less left. The last of that I heard. So actually, I think just within the last twenty four hours, we've sold about seventeen. So we may be around that, uh, probably around that 20 mark left or something like that. Going so fast. You can get those. If you're listening to this on Thursday, you can go ahead and get those. Friday, you can go ahead and get those. And even if you wait till Saturday to show up, I'm sure we can wiggle you in there. If you want to show up Saturday, 6 p.m., January the 30th. What's coming up on uh, the 31st? We have Communion Sunday. Always a good time. We'll be uh, sharing the Lord's Supper together. And uh, Carolina Panthers going to the Super Bowl February 7th. So I've heard. So I've heard. Yep. Um, That's all I've heard about. Yep. 
So that's, Every, that's everyone exciting. in here talking about that right now. But I think I'm actually going to root for uh, for Manning on this one. I mean, I like Carolina. Right. They're my number two team. I mean, I'm always going to be a Atlanta Falcon, being from Georgia. But uh, I think I'm going to pull for the old man. So who is uh, who is Carolina playing in the Super Bowl? Uh, that'd be the Denver Broncos. Are you not even paying attention to? Does Peyton Manning play for the for the Broncos? He does. He does. Okay, that's why you said you're going to pull for Peyton Manning. That's right. Okay. I'm going to pull for Peyton Manning. Have you have you ever heard his commercial, his little jingles and stuff? No. Are you serious? I'm serious. I don't watch TV. Oh man, this is the most this is the most culture I get right here. Well, I was thinking once a week. Yeah, all right, so you got the Peyton Manning nationwide commercials, and then mm-hmm. there's a Geico commercial, and it reminded me of me and you. Mm-hmm. There's two guys working out, and one guy's like, "What do you think there, Broheem?" And the other guy's like, "Nothing much there, Teddy Roosevelt." And they're, and they're working out, <laughs> but each time they're working out, one guy's getting bigger and stronger, and the other guy's staying the same. Oh yeah. But they keep going off of uh, like, he says, "Broheem" and "Bro Massive" and "Teddy Roosevelt" and right. stuff like that. So that's funny. Watch a little TV, Jesse. Mm, I'll work on it. Um. So let us. Uh, what if we? What if we merge into our opening anti-gospel second segment? I think this will kick us off for today. Let's do it. And so I've also got a little jingle for uh, kicking off our anti-gospel sec- segment. It goes like this: anti-gospel. I think that's what we did last time. That's what we. Yeah. You ready to try it again? All right, let's do it. Anti-gospel. Okay, so this is a downbeat for oh, the people oh. on the radio who can't see the downbeat. So I'm gonna go and uh, like that. Ready? Okay, yeah. Here we go. Anti-gospel. No, you're supposed to stay on key. I'm going to go harmony. I am tone deaf. Anti-gospel. Okay. Actually, you were on key. Was I? Jen, if you're listening to this, he actually can sing. I need you to work with him. Oh. All right. Let's just go into this. So this is a clip. Someone shared this. A lot of people shared this. Actually, one of our Gospel Defender listeners, shout out, sent this. Oh, yes. To me in a message saying, yes. hey, what do you think about this? Um, because, you know, Robert, I've been thinking about this, that the way we view the world shapes our worldview. Mm. Let me say that again. The ways, or uh, let me make it plural, the ways in which we view the world shape our worldview. And our worldview is everything that we presuppose about existence, about the gospel, about Christianity, about government. All of that is our worldview. So one of the objectives of Gospel Defenders Radio is to sharpen your worldview as a Christian. So when people are sharing this stuff on Facebook and we're listening to this stuff, it is shaping our worldview because it's... And this is one of the reasons that I don't watch a whole lot of TV is because that's one of the ways that we view the world, and it shapes our worldview. Amen. Right? And so I want my worldview to be shaped by the Word and by Christianity and by brothers and sisters in Christ, by songs, by hymns. I want those things to shape my worldview. So we're going we're gonna to try commentating over this. And uh, it's a Steve Harvey. Uh, Steve Harvey sh- talking to his audience on his game show. Are you ready? Here here it goes. I'm going to share something with you. I'm going to tell you something. Tell us. That every successful person has to do, Mm. including you. Believe it or not, every successful person in this world has jumped. I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. Are they on a bridge? Eventually, (laughs) you are going to have to jump. Are they on a cliff? You cannot just exist in this life. You have got to try to live. Wait a minute. You've got to try to live. Didn't Lucifer take? Jesus onto the pinnacle of the temple. He did. And what did he tell Jesus? He said, I will give you all the kingdoms that you see. Where is the point he told, uh, and maybe I'm getting my stories mixed up, didn't he say... The angels would catch you and so forth. Yeah, yeah, jump off off this and and the angels would catch you? Yeah. 
Because I think, was it the same scenario whenever he took them onto the mountain and said, I'll give you all the kingdoms that you'll see? Or which one happened on the, on the temple? I can't remember. Well, no, he took him up the mountain. He showed him the kingdom. Yeah, that was on the mountain. Um, and then I think on the temple, he said, if you jump off, you can command your angels to catch you, right? Your, your foot won't hit a rocker. Right. I'm going to have to look that up right quick. I just made that, I just made that uh, connection right there. Jump. You are waking up thinking that it's got to be more to your life than it is. Yes. You can read Man, your Bible. believe that it is. Believe in your heart of hearts that it is. Amen. He's about to preach. But to get to that life. Oh, okay. He's about, he, see, see, here we're on a gospel pendulum. There's more to life. There is something else out there. Yep, yep. What comes next will either be gospel or law. Gospel would declare what God has done for you. Yep. Law will declare what you must do for you. So let's see what he says. You're going to have to jump. Oh, snap. You're going to have I'll to tell jump. you why I call it jumping. Hmm. See, God, when he created all of us. He gave oh, this, this sounds. Well, this sounds good. This sounds somewhat Christian, right? Hmm. Let's see. He gave every last one of us a gift at birth. Hmm. He never created a soul without endowing them with a gift. Hmm. You just got to quit looking at gifts as running, jumping, singing, dancing. Yeah, which the Bible never says any of those are gifts. No. Matter of fact, music's not a gift in the Bible. Uh, running's not a gift. Jumping, dancing's not a gift. Um, I think the gifts of the Spirit. Love, kindness, are, patience. Are spiritual things, yeah. which are the gifts that we're endowed with. Yep. Uh, it's more than that. It's if you know how to network, if you can connect dots, if you draw... So if you play uh, crossword puzzles. That's a gift. Or Sudoku. S Sudoku. <laughs> How do you say it? I mean... Sudoku? Uh, well, it's kind of like caramel or caramel. What do you say? Tomato, tomato. Tomato, Sudoku. If you can connect dots, you have a gift. If you teach, some of y'all fry chicken. Teaching is a gift. There is correct. That is correct. Some of you cut hair, mm. color hair. Not a gift. Some people do grass. I got a partner, Some man. people do grass. Never wanted to go out with us because <laughs> we stayed out too late. Come on, man, go out with now. I, I know a lot of people in high school with that gift. Yeah. We kept laughing at this dude, cutting grass. How much they pay you? He got a landscaping company in Cleveland worth $4 million. Mm. Oh, oh, I hear a little prosperity. Um, Bill Gates, how much is he worth? Billions. $36 billion. Billions. He's got a gift. He's got a gift. Yeah. Isn't that what uh, Lucifer told Jesus? I'll give you, I'll give you a $4 million grass cutting company. I did pull that up, by the way. He'll bow down. Matthew chapter 4. Yeah, all right. It says this, And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out from the mouth of God. And this is where you were talking about verse 5 of chapter 4 of Matthew. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now, this is Satan saying this. Throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You know what I bet the message translation says? What's that? Or the message paraphrase? What's that? It says, jump. Jump. <laughs> That's what it says. All right, thank you for uh, looking that up. So that's when he was on the temple. That was when he was on the temple? And he said, hey, if you just jump off, God will give his angels command over you. All right. And you'll get a $4 million grass cutting company. And All he do is cut grass. All he do. But he was gifted at it. I got a partner on a detail shop, make $800,000 a year detailing cars. He got six mobile trucks. So what does this tell us? Uh, you're not successful unless you make a lot of money unless you are dominating your career field so all right let's let's look at it like this what about I, I cut grass when i was in high school I, I made 25 bucks if you were lucky uh i mean that was that was my gift i still have a gift i can cut that grass like nobody's business didn't you also forget to tie the 
the lawnmower down and back to the trailer? Uh, yep. See, my gift was not towing <laughs> mowers. It's riding the mower. As it flipped down the... It flipped through... People's yards. The ditch. All right, here we go. $800,000 a year. All he do is detail calls. Boom! That's his gift. That's what he loved to do. You've got to identify that gift. Now listen to me. When you see people in life, when you're standing on the cliff of life and you see people soaring by, when you see people soaring, going to exotic places, you hear about them doing wonderful things. Maybe you look up the street and your neighbor just gets a car every year, every two years. You know, how is he doing that? Have you ever thought, maybe this person right here has identified (laughs) their gift and is living in their gift. Maybe they are because your Bible cheating says, the government. It's your Bible. Oh, he's saying your, Bible. your gift will make room for you. Ooh, where's that come from? You ever heard of that, Robert? Your gift will make room for you. Have you ever heard that? I've never heard that. Okay, Proverbs sixteen eight. Uh, Proverbs eighteen sixteen. Giving a gift can open doors. Uh, let's read the King James. Uh, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. So you know what this is saying? Uh, this is what Proverbs 18 is saying. That giving a gift to someone makes them a friend. Hmm. It is not saying that your spiritual or somewhat otherwise mental capacity unlocks the supernatural kingdom of God. And so what's, what's he doing right off the bat? He's mixing in a little bit of scripture as he's, he's telling he, a lie. He's, he's taking scripture and preaching it out of context, right? What's the context? The context is by providing a gift, it brings you before important people. And what do you always say about the context? If you don't have the context, if you If you have... take the text out of the context, all you're left with is a con. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunately what a lot of preachers do today. Um, all right, so let's let's keep on let's keep on going with this. Your gift, not your education. You go get an education. That's nice, but if you don't use your gift, that education only gonna take you so far. I know a lot of people got degrees, man. They ain't even using them. It's your gift. Freemasons. But the only way for you to a soar lot of degrees, yeah. is you got to jump. You got to go up to 33 degrees. You got to take that gift that's packed away on your back. You got to jump off that cliff and pull that cord. Mm-hmm. That gift opens up mm-hmm. and provides the soar. Mm-hmm. If you don't ever use it, you're going to just go to work. And if you're getting up going to work on a job every day that you hate going to, that ain't living, man. You just existed. You know what Jesus' gift was? What's that? Dying on the cross. Mm. Guess what? He didn't make a lot of money. I bet he was pretty successful. Uh, they put him in a tomb. Three days later, he rose. Mm-hmm. What did he conquer? Hell. But but you know, the thing is, success in the kingdom of God doesn't look like success in the material world. That's right. We're going to talk about that today. At one point in time, you ought to see what living's like. Mm-hmm. But the only way to see what living like, you got to jump. You got to jump because unless you're making $800,000 cutting grass, you ain't living. That's what he's saying. Oh, he, he said $4 million with cutting grass. $4 million. Oh, that's right. $800,000 detailing cars. Right? Mm. Unless you're doing that, you're not successful. Hit a prop. Do you, you ever heard of... What do you, what do you, what do you tell a, 30, uh, a, a man who's uh, making 30000 being a missionary? Working every day of his life, sharing the gospel. Is he not a success because he's not making $4 million? What about a guy who's serving food to homeless people as a volunteer? Ooh, even better. No one wants to talk about the gift where you are doing stuff no one wants to do. What about the gift that says you're going to be a CNA? Wipe in the hind end of some 87-year-old man. Hmm. Making twelve bucks an hour. What about that nurse who's working twelve-hour shifts and there with people who's breathing out their last breath? Mm. Hospice. Hospice. What about that gift? 
ministering to the families that are mourning the loss of their loved ones. You ain't going to make $4 million. You ain't going to make that. But you might love some people. Mm. Witness to some people. Might be a little light. I'm going to just be real with you. Be real. When you first jump, let me tell you something. Your parachute will not open right away. Hmm. I, I'm sorry. I, I wish I could tell you it did, parachute packer. but it don't. When you jump, it's not going to open right away. Hmm. You're going to hit them rocks. That sounds You're going to get some skin tore off on them cliffs. I think you will die. You're going to get all your clothes tore off. You're going to get some cuts on you. You're going to be bleeding pretty bad. You're going to be naked. But eventually, eventually, the parachute has to open. That is a promise of God. That ain't a theory. That's a promise. Uh, hmm. You know what he just did? God, what did he do? He went emotional. Now he's hitting the emotions of people. Because guess what? Everybody goes through trials, tribulations, strongholds. You know, at our D group last night, we, were, we, were, we actually hit up on a little bit of this topic. And it was... Uh, because we started talking about the foundation. Mm-hmm. What is your foundation laid with? Jesus has to be the cornerstone. Because then when the house is being built, it has to be built on the rock. And the rock mm-hmm. is him. And when these storms come, as he's describing, you know, when you're hitting the rocks and you're getting cut and your clothes are getting ripped off. Mm-hmm. These are the storms of life. But he don't have the foundation on Christ. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He's, filled, he's feeding off people's emotions. Everybody goes through trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. But it's where your foundation is built on is how it's, the house is going to last. You know who I think about? Who's that? Jim Elliott. Mm. Missionary. South you know, America. You know what his gift was? What's that? Salvation. Proclaiming the gospel. You know what? He was in his, I want to say late 20s, early 30s. Guess what? He opened his parachute. You know what happened? They speared him to death. Mm. And all his missionary companions. Then you know what happened? The person who speared him? Salvation came to him years later as yep. Jim Elliott's wife went back and ministered to the people that slayed her her husband mm. and his friends for sharing the gospel. So I think when the parachute don't open, God does, can do more. You know what I'm saying? How many missionaries have we heard of? Oh, numerous. The ones you just tell me. Where were they at? Oh, the, the story of a man in India with his family as he's preaching the gospel. And this is how the, the hymn that came about is, uh, I will follow Jesus, no turning back. And how that came about was because this man and his family were slain for preaching the gospel. Mm. And so numerous people. I mean, you look throughout the Reformation as people who were protesting against the Roman Catholic Church because they wanted the Bible in their hand. And they believed that it was by faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone. The Waldensians. The Waldensian being burned alive in, in the caves. Reformers. So, hey, let's keep going. This is good. Promises is true, because listen to me. God promises. You cannot. What did he say? God promises that what? Your parachute will open? I have not read that. I don't even think they had parachutes in Israel or Jerusalem or any of that. Name one single thing God has not gotten you through. Name it. Your, and if he ain't, um, your video would be one. <laughs> got you through it. He currently pulling you through it right now. Yeah, he's working on me. And the living proof of it is you sitting in here. I am. If he hadn't got you through it, you wouldn't even be here. Oh, son, now I'm leaving so the game show. So if he ain't never not got you through it. Mm-hmm. What? Guess what? My parachute is a game show. Hmm. Why would he not let your parachute open? Mm-hmm. He, it has to open, man. Mm. But it, it, you got to jump, though. Now, here's another thing. You can play it safe and deal without the cuts and the tears. And you can stand on that cliff of life forever safe. Mm-hmm. But if you don't jump, I got another promise I can make you. Your parachute will never open. That's true. You'll never know. You'll never know what God really had for you. So if you simply do what Scripture commands you, love your neighbor, preach preach the gospel, (laughs) serve the kingdom, you will never know what God has for you. 
Sounds like law. <laughs> Anti-gospel. Law. See, your God has a wonderful life for you. Once again. Ooh. Humanism. Is that humanism? Humanism. Man, we need a little clip or something for humanism. Like, We're working that, Robert. Bum, 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 bum. Humanism. And I'm going to refer to your Bible. Now, you go down there, you memorize these scriptures. Mm-hmm. Your Yo Bible. To- he never says my Bible. He says, I'm going to refer to your Bible. Your Bible says. I wonder says. why you think that. Or why he says that. Uh, Because, probably because, you know, people doesn't actually read it, and he can twist scripture, and they're never going to know it. That's what I was thinking. For yourself. Your Bible says that he comes to give you life and give you life more abundantly. Mm. If I Humanism. I were you. I would jump. Because that's the only way to get to that abundant life. You got to jump, man. The only way to get the life that Jesus promises you is by jumping. And with that, he means make sure that you're successful in your gift. Of doodling. Connecting dots. Sudoku. You got to take a chance. Now, when I get through talking, there are those of you who have discussed this in the car. Mm-hmm. Well, I got bills. We're on a podcast. And I got, I got bills. I, See, it's whether all... you stay on the cliff or you jump, you're going to have bills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if I quit my job, I'm going to ruin my credit. If you got a job, you live in check to check. Even if you got A1 credit, you can't buy nothing else no damn way. Ooh, I like when you... Let me throw a little profanity into my gospel preaching. That's what I was thinking. Yo, Bible. Yo, Bible. <laughs> Up one time, man, do yourself a favor. Mm-hmm. Go, go see what God really do. Yeah. God hold you up, man. He ain't going to let you fall. Because God wants he you to quit your you job. You. God, God, God doesn't want you actually paying your bills. He wants you to jump. And do you know how many businesses go bankrupt in the first two years? Now, listen, this is people who jump. Guess what? The Christian couple up in some state that owned a bakery mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and got sued by the lesbians, mm-hmm. they lost everything. They jumped. They jumped. They jumped. And they didn't adhere to whatever people wanted them to do. And they followed scripture and crashed against the rocks. Mm. The parachute didn't open. How much, how much more we got? Just do yourself a, a favor, man. Before seconds. you leave this world. It's hard. Before you die. Before you die. Jump. Just jump one time. Yep. Just jump. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. One more time. Mm. Law. Humanism. Well, that's a good intro for today. That is. Yeah. I mean, let me tell you how Jesus responded to Satan. Let's do it. We talked about Matthew chapter 4. We came through all this part, and then Satan twisted and uh, took him up on the temple pinnacle. Mm-hmm. On the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. Mm. Jump. Don't jump. That's what he said. He said jump. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, don't put your Lord God to test. Don't test the Lord. Just do what he says. Mm. You know what jumping means? Jumping means you're going to have to do something where you're not sure the outcome. Here's what scripture says. We can know the outcome. Oh, man, it's about to get on. We can we can follow the instructions of scripture. Now, I'm not saying I'm not going all prosperity gospel like, okay, if you if you tithe, he's going to open up the storehouse of heaven because if you tithe, he may kill you with cancer. Yeah. You may die as a missionary and still tithe, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is we can know that we're part of what God has orchestrated for us to do, the good works he's orchestrated for us. He will use it for his glory. For his namesake, his Not purpose. for our own. Yes. All right, so what's our topic for today? Why does evil exist, or what is the problem with evil and suffering? Mm-hmm. So let's look at those topics of evil, suffering, uh, in the world that we live in. So here's... Uh, 
one of the objections that people use against Christianity. Okay. Or against God in general. If God is so good, then why does he allow so much evil? Matter of fact, two weeks ago, I was having lunch with an atheist, witnessing to an atheist, and he said, I have two objections to Christianity. He says, number one is I can't be sure that the Bible is divinely inspired. And number two, I have a problem with all the evil and suffering in the world. So this is a real-world uh, issue that we're dealing with. It's called the problem of evil. And not only have atheists grappled with this, but theologians have grappled with this. And uh, I would like, before we get into the scripture, I want to open with what one theologian uh, poses as some ways for dealing with the problem of evil. Because here, here's normally what the argument is. If God can remove evil, but doesn't, Mm -hmm. then he is not good. Hmm. And if he cannot remove evil... He's not all-powerful. So what we have to do as Christians is we have to provide a reason for the hope that was, is within us of knowing why suffering and evil is in the world and also what God's going to do with it. That's right. If he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, how do you defend the faith? If there's evil in the world, how do right. you still show God's goodness, that he is still in control, and why he allows. Exactly. All right, so this book that I'm quoting from is a book called Christian Theology by Millard Erickson, and he has a chapter on evil and what God does with evil. So here's some of the arguments that he gives, and he he basically covers a survey of why evil exists in the world, and then we're going to get from a philosophical answer to a um, theological answer or scriptural answer, but both of these things coincide. So one of the things he first says is that because God made humans in his image, he made them to be moral agents. Mm -hmm. So that means agents of morality, people who can exercise morality. And the only way that morality could be exercised is if the possibility of evil is already present in the world. So so that doesn't mean fully that evil is present in the world. It means that the possibility of evil is present in the world. So he goes on to say that God could not have created a world, uh, a world in such a way that evil results would not occur. So listen to this again. This is a philosophical argument. God could not have created a world in such a way that evil results could not occur. For example, he says that a hammer is by nature hard. Mm -hmm. It is heavy. It's used to drive nails. So God could not have created a world where a hammer is hard, Mm -hmm. but then when it hits your finger, it's soft. Hmm. That would be a world of logical impossibility. He could not have created a world where the hammer hits a nail, but when you hit it against someone's head, it becomes soft. That would be a world that did not have continuity. So God created a world with continuity, whereas a sword, or let's say an axe, will chop down a tree. That sharp axe is a good thing. We use it to heat our... Houses with wood, build things out of wood, on and on and on. But that same axe can also take someone's arm off. Hmm. So what he's trying to say is that the possibility of evil exists when good things are placed into the hand of a moral agent. That moral agent can decide to do something good or he can decide to do something destructive. God didn't create the destruction. He simply created a world in which the moral agent could exercise that possibility. Um, let's see. Let's, let's do another thing. 
So he asked the question, why does God not erase all evil now? People say, if God is so good, why does he allow suffering? So what he says is the only way that God would prevent evil and suffering would be to destroy every moral agent possessing the will capable of leading to evil. Hmm. So you've got 7 billion moral agents living on this world right now who can pick up a knife and cut bread or stab somebody. The only way that God could prevent evil right now would be to destroy every moral agent. All right. Now, he did that once Yep. Uh, with Noah. He destroyed the whole earth. So probably about six weeks ago, there was an atheist on Facebook who said, same argument, if God is so good, then he would do something about all the suffering. And I, I responded, and I said, so you're telling me that God should render his justice against individuals who do evil things. And he said, yes, most certainly, but God just sits back and does nothing. And I said, well, God has rendered justice in the past. So I said, by your own definition, you are giving credibility to God's actions. That God did render his wrath and justice to the creatures that called evil. And I said, secondly, God has promised that once again, he will render his justice and wrath. In judgment. Yep. God will judge. He will render to every person according to the evil that he's done. Now, for the believer, this judgment has happened on Calvary. All right? That is where our sins have been judged. But for those who don't believe, their sins will be judged at the judgment seat. Mm, for those who are in Christ, there is no more condemnation. Amen. Romans 8, verse 1. Come on now. All right, so, so one of the things is the only way that God would prevent suffering right now would be to destroy every person. As long as we live in a world where moral possibilities exist, there's no way that, that, that God can prevent me from taking a knife. Now, now God will operate in the realm of his preventive grace by, uh, you mentioned a few days ago, restraining me. Mm-hmm. from becoming the full onslaught as sinner as I could because His grace, I believe, is a part of my life. His, His Holy Spirit is part of my life. So one of the things that sanctification is occurring right now is I am not sinning as much as I could be sinning without the influence of the Spirit in my life. Amen. The Spirit brings that correction into the life of a believer. Um, the last thing that I wanted to bring up, and I think it was what you mentioned is that what looks evil from our perspective is not necessarily evil in the long term from God's perspective. And you actually had a great place in Scripture that demonstrates this fact. What do you think demonstrates that fact uh, very highly? Well, I think the story of Joseph in uh, the book of Genesis when his brothers sold him into slavery. So if you go to uh, Genesis 38, 38, and I forget exactly where it ends, but um, it's several chapters, I think, to, to 45 or 44 um, within that story of uh, Joseph and his brothers. But his brothers were doing an evil act. They had sold him into slavery because... All right, let's recap the story for those who might not be familiar with it. Yeah. Can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. So Joseph uh, had several brothers. Yep. And uh, I think he was the youngest. Uh, he was second to the youngest. Second to the youngest. Benjamin was the youngest. So in all, there's 12 brothers. So and, but Joseph, Joseph had, was the, the favorite. Joseph was a favorite. At 17 years old, he had a dream. Yes. And he had a dream that his brothers one day would bow the knee to him. Bow down and serve him. And serve him. Okay. Yes. And so this angered his brothers. Mm. It made them very mad. Um, and so Joseph was always telling about the dream that he had. He told his father and so forth. Even his father, when he told his father that one day you will bow your knee and serve me. And they, they were puzzled by this. But he was still Jacob's favorite. And mm-hmm. he gave him the coat of many colors. You know the story of, of that mm-hmm. part. Well, then this angered his brother so much that he was, number one, his father's favorite, mm-hmm. okay, and that one day that they would have to bow to him. They're like, who are you? Mm-hmm. You can imagine that. He's the second to the youngest. Mm-hmm. I'm the older brother. I get the inheritance, so forth. Who are you to tell me that I'm going to bow my knee to you? Mm-hmm. Okay? So they wanted to do evil, okay? Uh, they, they threw their brother in a pit. Uh, luckily for, uh, well, no, I wouldn't say luckily, but this is God's provision, right, that Reuben wouldn't allow his brothers to kill Joseph, mm-hmm. okay? Um, his brothers wanted to kill him. Reuben said, no, let's not kill him. Mm-hmm. And so they sell him into slavery. Funny enough, to guess what? 
the Ishmaelites, all right? Now, who are the Ishmaelites? Uh, Ab- Abraham had two sons, right? Right, right. One through the covenant, and the oh. other one was not through the covenant, right? Ishmael, right? The Ishmaelites. So the Ishmaelites bought him. Yeah. I, now, that may not be any significance in the scripture, but to me, it stood out. I was like, hmm, because Ishmaelites well, is the one who formed. Check this out. It's significant in the fact of God's sovereignty that uh, he could have been left at the bottom of the well. Mm. He could have died. Yeah. But who, who, and it's also a picture of the law. You, you have the, the, the wife under covenant and then the wife under law. Yep. So who picks him up? The law. The law to throw him into prison. Hmm. Well, I don't know. Some other symbolism. Yeah. I mean, Augustine would agree with me. I agree with you as well. Metaphorical exegesis there. So, anyways, looking at the story starting off, you're like, why would God allow this evil to take place? Why would they allow his brothers to sell him into slavery? That's not a good thing. That's an evil mm-hmm. act. Yep. Why would uh, he allow the, um, his brothers to tell their father a lie, make him mourn the loss of his son? Mm. But then you go on through the story. I mean, and this isn't like two months later, a year later. No, you, you go from one part that's telling the story. You see that from 17, maybe he might have been a little bit older. You see in the scripture it mentions 13 years later. Mm. So thir- at least 13 years of suffering. 13 years of slavery. Okay, of slavery, being in prison, mm. uh, being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife because he would not have relations with her. On and on and on, right? Right. Then it gets to the part where he has another dream about uh, seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. Mm. And this is where his brothers come back to where they will bow the knee. Okay? Right. So the brothers during this time have been holding this guilt. Mm. And you see this this story as it plays out that we did this to our brother. Mm. And they get to the part of when they repent. And Joseph breaks down and he weeps. He says, brothers, you did not do this to me. The Lord has done this. So that he could save you, mm-hmm. and so that he could save a remnant of people for his namesake. Mm-hmm. He has done all this, so he prepared a way. So on the inside looking in, this act of evil was taking place. And yes, God is not a God of evil. He's not a God that causes the sin, but he is sovereign and he is control, working all things out to the good. Mm-hmm. And so when the brothers thought they were doing evil, God was actually working that to be able to save them at a later date. Wow. And what do we see that? That is the picture of the gospel. Just as Jesus was being crucified on the cross, evil men were doing evil acts. You think of uh, Psalm 22 when it's describing them. It says that they are dog, mm. dogs showing their teeth, and they are whipping him and, and crucifying him, and they're around all this evil is taking place. But Jesus says, no one takes my life. Mm. I lay my life down. Mm-hmm. So we see that, oh, man, a man's being crucified. Look at this evil act that's taking place. Yeah. And this is what the Jews are saying, how... Can, how can the Messiah mm. be the one who they are killing, right? And that's why many didn't believe, because they didn't believe that the, the Messiah, who they thought was going to be a political king yeah. to rescue them, would die in front of even the disciples. <laughs> They're like, this can't be our, the guy we followed the th- for three years. They're killing him right in front of us. But he doesn't prophesy. Tear this temple down, and I will rebuild it in three days. Yep. And then they remembered and then they remembered that he was talking about his body. And so by that act of people thought was evil, mm-hmm. actually was something that was good because it was how God was going to save his bride. Wow. This is how he was going to save people, that he was already preparing a way from mm. the foundations of the earth. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. When you start looking at that and you start going through Scripture, Jesus was not plan B. Mm. He was plan A. Come on. He was from the foundation of the earth. This is how God was going to save people so they could see his goodness, his mercy, his compassion, the beautifulness of the Savior mm. was through this. So, yes, God puts that moral law on the heart. Mm. We have those choices. I can pick up this water bottle to drink, mm-hmm. or I can take this water bottle and hit you in the face. Right. Okay? Sometimes you probably <laughs> want to. Sometimes. Right. But God from the foundation of the earth had this already planned out, how he was going to send the Savior. Mm. So that even when we thought we were doing evil and wickedness, God was going to use that to change people's hearts. That's why he says in Ezekiel 36, you have defiled my name, but I will give you a clean heart. I will put my spirit in you. I will give you a new mind. So uh, if you want to read about Joseph, Genesis 37 through 
I think it's forty five. I have to go hey, back and look. Let me let me let me conclude your point about what you were saying about the problem of suffering. Okay. Go ahead. Before we get into uh, speaking some scriptures here. This is what uh, Millard Erickson says at the end of his chapter on the problem of evil. He says that ultimately God becomes the victim of evil itself. And he takes upon himself the problem of evil on the cross. And this is what he says. The triune God knew that the second person of the Trinity would come to earth and be subject to numerous evils, hunger, fatigue, betrayal, ridicule, rejection, suffering, and death. He did this in order to negate sin and thus its evil effects. Mm. So really, the whole world, including atheists and theologians, have grappled with the problem of evil. Everyone realizes there's a problem. The thing we see in Christianity is that Christianity is the only one that offers a solution. Amen. No other, I can't remember who said this recently, no other religion says God came and died. Hmm. except Christianity. It says God took the effects of evil upon himself on a cross. And so what we find in Christianity is what I call a theology of suffering. Oh, man. You know, uh, I, I've talked about this many times. The oldest book in the Bible, which predates the, the Mosaic books, is Job. And what is Job about? It is about this question right here, the problem of evil. Why do good things happen to people who we think are good? A lot of people say, I'm sorry, a lot of people say, why do bad things happen to good people? And the reality is that only happened once to Jesus Christ. Everyone else is not righteous. We need our little audio clip from last week. No, not one. No, not one, right? Everyone else is not righteous and does not deserve anything from God. But Jesus Christ, who deserved everything, received all the effects of sinfulness upon himself. So we find in Christianity a theology of suffering that God uses suffering to accomplish his glory. And I think there's a few prominent places in Scripture where we were going to look at today. What what do you think would be the good place to start? Uh, why don't you read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, it's 7 through 14. But how, um, how about you read this, and I'll read Romans 5. Oh, okay. Well, let let's, start out, let's start out here. That'd 2 actually, Corinthians. Uh, where were you at? I, I had turned to uh, Isaiah when you were preaching. I was just, oh. and, and this is how we do it. Yeah. You know, when we start letting the Lord lead and when we're going through scriptures, you probably hear our pages turning. Where are you at, Isaiah? Uh, Go ahead. I was going to Isaiah when it was talking about his suffering. Yep. By his stripes we are healed. Uh-huh. That the Savior faced all kinds of suffering. Right. And that was the, the prophecy of um, being fulfilled yeah, of the, the Messiah. The amazing thing about the gospel is not that how can God allow suffering, but how can God himself enter into it? I mean, just think about that for a minute, that God, immutable, omnipotent, unchangeable, became subject to suffering. That is the amazing thing of the gospel. Amen. That God entered into that suffering of mankind. So where are you going? You going to 2 Corinthians 4? Yeah, I'll go to 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, you want me read it all from 7 through 14? Uh, let's do... Um, or 10 through 12. S- how about 7 through 10? All right, 7 through 10. But we are this treasures in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who, be, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, on that, the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death at, at, is at its work in us, but life in you. Actually, went to verse 12, sorry. So I would call that a theology of suffering. Uh, Paul is saying we always carry around the marks of death within our body. That means we are constantly being subjected to suffering. This doesn't sound like a prosperity gospel. I don't know of any prosperity gospel preacher who would preach 2 Corinthians chapter 4, what you just read. What was the part it said about um, uh, the when, suffering of Jesus? What Was that verse 9 well, or 10? Yeah, I mean, it was showing the, the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. And it says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, 
persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. All right, so how is the life of Jesus manifested? It is manifested through his death. I mean, you think of the gospel. What is, what is the glory in the resurrection? The glory in the resurrection was because he died. Yes. Without the suffering in the cross, there would not be the glory of the resurrection. So the same thing Apostle Paul is saying is us. It is because that we're carrying around the suffering constantly, being persecuted, being perplexed, being crushed. It is because of all that that we glory in the life that we have. Mm. Because without the suffering, there is no glory in perseverance. No one glories the guy who's sitting on his couch watching a marathon. They glory the person that's suffering in the marathon. No one glories the football player who's sitting on the bench. They glory the one who's getting his head pounded in by a 289-pound linebacker. It is suffering that produces glory within the life of the saint. And I think that's where we go to um, Romans chapter 5. Verse 3, he says, uh, again, Apostle Paul, not only that, but we glory in tribulation. He means we, we give value to suffering. We glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. We glory in suffering. So the theology of Christianity, the theology of suffering is that. Number one, bad things will happen to you continuously. Jesus doesn't bring you into some sort of preventive bubble when you become a Christian. No, you, you're still going to be subjected to everything else the world is subjected to, and a lot of times you're even subjected to more. What do we see in the book of Job? That the ones who are faithfully following God are the ones who become the, the targets of mm-hmm. the attacks of the enemy. Yeah. All right? And through that, it's through the faithfulness, through the storm, that God is glorified. Hmm. Because God is not glorified when we drive our, you know, BMWs or, or our Mercedes or whatever. God doesn't get no glory in that because anyone can do that. Bill Gates, Donald Trump, whatever. Well, what do you say to the person right now who's not going through suffering, who says, well, am I doing something wrong? Um, I would say, first of all, enjoy it right now. That's what I would say. I would say, look, if, if God has you in this season, point to his namesake. Show his glory even through that. I mean, if if, if uh, goodness is on you, right, okay, mm-hmm. and mercy and compassion is being overflowing, and you're not going through persecution and suffering and pain and a trial at this time, right? praise him and worship him in that season. Mm-hmm. So many times Christians are having a good season, but yet they forget about the worship. And a lot of times in the good season, they... You know, you know, a lot of people, they have some sort of amazing experience. They're on the beach. They're sitting there, feet kicked up, you know, toes in the water, ball in the sand, beach ball or something like that. Yeah. And they're like, man, God is good. Well, well, sure he is. I mean, God created the ocean and the sand. But you know what? God is also good whenever you're laid up in a hospital room mm. and you just had 18 inches of your intestines removed that's when you know God is really good because you're not rejoicing in a material world. You're not rejoicing in the kingdoms of the earth that God is going to give you. You're rejoicing in his sufficiency alone. And so, you know, I think that's when the testimony of the Christian becomes the most powerful is when we're walking through the suffering, but still giving God to praise because he's still good, even when we go through it. And we will, you know. That's why the prosperity gospel is so damaging because people say, well, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, God's supposed to, you know, bless me. Well, this is Old Covenant Israel type stuff. This is not New, to- New Covenant missionary apostle New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity, you follow Christ, you're going to suffer. Amen. And that's what we need to be preaching now. I think of um, we had a friend that passed away uh, not too long ago. Right. And um, she passed away from cancer. Mm-hmm. And people were like, you know, why would God allow this? Such a godly woman, uh, you know, always pointing to Christ, but she ended up getting cancer and died at the age of uh, 34, 35, mm-hmm. uh, 34, and for three years battled cancer. Cancer, But every time you saw her or every time you saw something on social media, she was always pointing to Christ mm-hmm. and always 
worshiping and always celebrating Him. Now, yes, I don't know every aspect of her life in the quiet times, mm-hmm. but I know she reflected Christ in every way possible, even in her suffering. Mm. Okay, and and that is what it's about being a Christian. That even in our suffering, we reflect Christ in every way. We let His light shine through us. And I'm going to tell you what this lady did. That mm. even when she was struck down, even when she was stricken. You know, we, we see all these people on social media that uh, that complain about certain issues that are, don't even matter. Mm. That, oh, I have it so bad. And yet this is someone who's going through chemo. Right. Cancer just throughout the body. Mm-hmm. Always glorifying Christ. Mm. God is still good in the midst of the pain. And You know what? I think we have a song that says that. I think we do. Shane and Shane, Though You Slay Me. You want to end with this? Hey, let's wrap up with this. I think this was my song, man. This is my theme song for like the past, uh, I don't know, past few years. It's been a lot. And this song has really ministered to me because I think this is the, this is the testimony of Scripture. This is the theology of suffering that even in the midst of it, he's still going to be glorified. So, Gospel Defenders, until next time, be blessed. We hope this has helped equip you, uh, equip you to have a Christian worldview and uh, to really understand what Scripture is saying. Amen. God bless, guys. Not only is all your affliction 
momentary. Not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you've got cancer at 40, when a car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out, don't, don't say, it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart, but take these truths and day by day focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach His Word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. song to the one who's all 